0: Money, it's a gas. Grab that cash with both hands and make a stash. One of my all time favorite uh, Pink Floyd lyrics. But also, I'm talking to one of my all time favorite people, Chelsea Williams, the chief financial architect. So, Chelsea works with law firm owners to really help you understand your numbers. And I know that that is definitively the case because Chelsea works with my law firm and my marketing company to make sure we really understand our numbers. And I definitely understand them a lot more than I did before um, Chelsea dived into the mess that they were um, and has made them so much more understanding. So we're doing something a little bit different for our kickoff of uh, 2023 Exhibit A's. This will be the first one. You're watching this on January 5th. Chelsea's going to give us her top 10 tips to help more law firm owners be successful. Then she'll be joining us weekly in our Solutions for Lawyers by Lawyers group to talk about those tips one at a time in a little bit more detail. And then at the end of March, after we have those 10 weeks of tips, Chelsea will be in there live to answer your questions, follow-ups, and help you through all those things. So if you care about your law firm's financial position and you want to be profitable, this is probably the chat for you. Chelsea, welcome, welcome.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: So, I mean, I know I like touched on your bio, but if you can fill in a little bit more of the nitty gritty, I really just talk about the experience I've had working with you, so...
1: Yeah, no, I, um, I've really come to call myself the money whisperer because it's always and never about the money and money's really hard to deal with. It's not something that school taught us, although I believe they should have. And so I really love helping entrepreneurs understand that side of business.
0: I love that. Um, and obviously like Chelsea's got a, it's you, you've got a team, you do stuff on payroll, you do stuff on the reporting, you don't do taxes. That's somebody else, but you get everything lined up to make that part so easy.
1: Yeah. All the boring tasks that people really are excited to delegate, honestly.
0: (laughs) Makes total sense. Well, I also think it's cool uh, having never had this financial setup before. I think it's so interesting to get like a little bit of the tax strategy stuff from you all and a little bit of tax strategy planning for my accountant. And obviously like you all are in agreement on so much of the stuff and then it's so cool to just see some of the extra things like oh yeah you know that does make so much sense to you like from you being more involved in our numbers then be like yeah that would make sense for you know your law firm and whatnot so super cool
1: yeah it's how i personally stay in my passion and my zone of expertise because preparing tax returns was certainly a route i could have taken Um, But it sounds just as agonizing to me as it probably does to you. So I really enjoy knowing the nuggets of tax strategy and how to help educate people about them. But preparing a tax return, forget about it. Not for me.
0: (laughs) Makes total sense. All right. So um, for those of you who are catching this episode, the most recent episode of Exhibit A we had was our last episode of 2022. So that was our best of part two. Um, that got us through I want to say about November so if you watch the December episodes you won't see them again we gave you just enough time from that standpoint but that's a great episode to check out if you want some of the best takeaways from some of our best guests that we had at the second half of last year Uh, that's the one to check out but we got Chelsea live going into our 10 top 10 tips to help law firm owners grow so I want to dive in so what's our first top 10 tip
1: All right, so number one is identify what you don't know. And that comes from one of what I call the entrepreneurial principles of you don't know what you don't know. And so at least trying to figure out what is it that I don't know that I probably should know is a really good step because it keeps us, you know, entrepreneurs thrive outside of the box. Um, Outside of the box is what we don't know and what we're not comfortable with. So I think being aware of that is a really good first step.
0: And it's interesting because I think there's, there's multiple layers to this. Like, obviously there are the parts of my business that you are the expert in when it comes to like the money standpoint versus the marketing or the, or the law stuff. But there's also internal stuff. You know, I'll never forget. I was talking to Jeff Hodson, who had, uh, had, I don't remember who his business coach was at the time, but Jeff was talking about like, they had, you know, a, a client complaint and the coach and the coach was like, well, imagine how many client complaints you don't hear about. And it was just like, so there's a whole nother like internal component of things that you're not barring the fact that you are listening to all the calls, checking all the emails, like my, putting a new spin on the concept of micromanaging. There's going to be more stuff that you don't know as well. So give me a little bit deeper on you know, our need to identify what we don't know.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good example. I think some of the biggest lessons for me personally and other entrepreneurs comes from those complaints, those things that don't work because they're reflecting kind of what your, blinds, your blind spot is. And not just from your customers, but from your team, right? Like some of the best feedback I've ever gotten and you know, inspired improvements in our business model was from my team. Um, and marketing was a good example. I've shared this with you before. I, when I started my company, I knew nothing really about marketing. And so I reached out, because that's when you do when you don't understand, you reach out for understanding, right? And what I thought was going to be this like one person on my team to handle marketing ended up being like a marketing team of five. I'm like, okay, asking questions gets me answers and helps me understand what I don't know. And I had no clue.
0: (laughs) Well, and it's, I mean, look, this is not just a small business thing. You know, there's say what you will about Walmart, but they are immensely financially successful. And even they have this whole newsletter that's designed around individual employees, new things. And so there's, I don't remember the examples, but there's a number of like nationwide changes Walmart has made based off of like a frontline worker in some random city coming up with this idea and then it making its way across the organization. So this is a common thing or maybe not common, but necessary thing.
1: Yeah. I think another form that it takes is not having the humility to say, I don't understand this. Like I speak with law firm owners here and there and we get on a consult and they present that they know their numbers and they have all these things. I'm like, well then why are are we here? because when I ask them other questions about what are your KPIs and what's this and what's that, they don't really have that grasp.
0: It's interesting, like you have to have the, you have to be in like the right amount of pain to make, well, I guess, let me rephrase. You can listen to what Chelsea says and not force yourself to be in the right amount of pain to finally do this, or you will naturally have so much pain that you reach out for answers. So I think we're really, we're talking about being more proactive, uh, you know, and avoiding some of those pain points and pitfalls.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Annie, I, um, I know you're your number two, because we went through this beforehand, is going to go deeper on this or touch on this. But anything else you want to talk about from the standpoint of you know, identifying what you don't know, and going a little bit more guidance on some of our listeners on how they can do that?
1: Uh, I, think, I think that's good for now, because one of my future top 10 here is going to address that a little bit more.
0: All right, then let's dive into it. So number two.
1: All right, number two is have an actual strategy for hiring, training, and delegating as you scale. And this goes back, the one book that I love, it's like one of my business Bibles, is the E-Myth Revisited. And I have conversations with business owners all the time where we compare owning a business to being a parent and having children. And it's not because of the people so much. Are you good? You okay over there, Jordan?
0: (laughs) I just took a sip of water. I'm choking. Okay. Keep going. It's recorded. We can edit this out or not.
1: Just breathe. Um, and we, we talk about how similar being an entrepreneur is to being a parent, not because of the team component, but because your business is a reflection of what you're putting out. So have you ever had that moment? I know you have, because you post about your son on Facebook all the time and they're hilarious. I love those posts, but that moment when your child does something and you're looking at them, like, wow, that was me. And I didn't mean to teach my child that.
0: Yes, absolutely. There's a, uh, literally today at school. So every week in VPK, they have to come in with a different letter. They have to find like three things for show and tell. Today's letter is F. And I learned that my child knows an F word that uh, a four and a half year old shouldn't. So uh, we'll see if the school calls.
1: And that's what it is, right? So it's those moments (laughs) in our business when, for example... We hire someone and they they're not getting it. They're not understanding it. And they're looking at us with this confused look. And we're like, whoa, I didn't actually give you the tools or I didn't actually sit down and train you thoroughly on that thing. And then you dig a little bit deeper and you're thinking to yourself, well, why didn't you ask those questions? Why didn't you ask me? Then you got to sit back and be like, well, did I tell you to ask me? Did I make you feel comfortable and safe coming to ask me? Do I have an open door policy really? Not just saying it once, but am I creating an environment where my team knows that I have an open door policy? One of the most impactful books I read this year was Traction. And one of the things that stuck out to me is he says, if you're serious about something, you have to tell your team seven times before they take you seriously. So having that consistency in, in what you're doing and what you're communicating to your team.
0: And so here's here's my pro tip. <clears throat> when you do this at the beginning, you know, the newer your firm is, I think the more you are cheaping out on hiring. And I'm not blaming you for it, you don't have the finances. In those moments, that's where the myth kicks in. That's where like you are McDonald's. McDonald's can hire a minimum wage worker to run a store because they have such strong systems. We're going to talk about this when we get to a little bit later. Um, but there comes a point where your delegation changes because you're hiring better people and you don't want to put them in a box. And so one of the things I really love in those circumstances is giving them like your intent or the purpose or the guide rails, however you want to phrase it. And then like, let them run wild because you'd be surprised what they can, well, not to let them run wild, let them apply their expertise to it. But by giving them this framework, instead of being like, you have to do it this specific way to like, this is what I need out of you. Uh, will change the results immensely when it's the right person.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of the first part of the, the strategy is finding the right person, which starts with you, right? Because if, if you're not defining, okay, what do I need done? What are the actual technical tasks? What type of person is going to be best at these tasks? What other characteristics do I want them to have? Not just the technical know-how and understanding and being intentional. With your job posting ad, with your interview questions, with your interview system. Is it one? Is it three? Do you have a group interview before you hire somebody? But really understanding exactly what you're looking for in that person enough so that you can tell them things like that. Like, here's the plan. Right now, you're the first person I've hired. So I've got some admin stuff, I've got some paperwork stuff, I've got some calendar stuff, but eventually we're going to grow and we're going to talk about what I'm going to take off of your plate as that happens.
0: Yeah. And that, I think ties. I know there's another one that's going to touch on number one, but I think that part um, puts back to number one and identifying what you don't know, because by delegating the right things to the right people, you like no longer have to stay as on top of some of these things.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's like the, so you're intentional about who you hire, who that is, be intentional about training them. Because if you hire somebody that has the skill, or even if you don't, there's always like, I spend more time training my team on how we do things, not the actual technical task, but how we do things, how we report things, how we check things, why it matters, and what role they play in the much bigger picture.
0: And that is, I mean, look, attraction will tell you, right? Like, that's how you get everybody rowing in the same direction because they understand. I hate the like cogs in, a, in the machine analogy because we're people, but ultimately by understanding their role in the larger organization, as well as understanding the vision and direction of the larger organization, it allows for like the right amount of information without being overwhelming.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that ha- they have that sense of this is bigger than me, but I am a really important part of what we're trying to accomplish here as a whole. And so once you've been intentional about hiring and training, Not just being like Sarah at the bakery of Emith and and letting it go, right? But creating those internal almost KPIs, those checkpoints, or what Traction refers to as the rocks and the meeting agenda. Not just letting them go without checking in. You're you're constantly checking in with them, asking them what they like, what they don't like, because eventually they're going to delegate as you grow, right? So you want to keep people. In their zone of expert. And sometimes it's something new and they have no idea. So actually following up with them on a consistent basis.
0: I love that. All right. So, um, with that being said, you are right. I was wrong. We're not going to flip three and four because this goes right into your next one.
1: Yes. So, number three is find people who are better than you. And this can be really scary for entrepreneurs, um, especially for law firms. Because the fear is always, I'm gonna hire, you know, a really good attorney and they're gonna take my business and part of my team. Um, but I, and I watch all of the like Restaurant Impossible, Bar Impossible, like The Profit with Marcus Lemonis, and they all say the same thing. They all say, find people who are smarter than you, right? Because if you're, if you are not, if you're keeping everybody else at your own mental block, at your own glass ceiling, how are you going to break through that as a company, like as a whole? And you know what we do is a good example. You didn't go to school for accounting and bookkeeping. Yeah, you could take a course on Udemy and uh, pay less than I did for my degree and learn it, but is that really the highest and best use of your time? Right? Do you really wanna go learn a whole new craft or do you wanna find somebody who is better than you at that, who, is, who knows more than you do because as a whole, it's gonna move you forward faster exponentially
0: and I, I mean i want to be clear there are a ton of situations where you will hire somebody who will then leave to open up their own firm and they might take some people with you that goes but then i go into the richard i think it's richard branson who said the uh you know is better to train people and have them leave than not train them and have them stay you know like if you're if you're intentionally trying to keep your employees not as a plus players so that they stay with you then you are filling your entire firm with not a plus players because you're scared
1: and like here's the thing if it's going to happen to people anyway if there's almost no way to avoid it like why are we going to fear something that's inevitable you know and if you're creating the culture if you're creating the team and letting them know that they're a valuable part a lot of people don't want to be a business owner it's not for everybody everybody doesn't want to do entrepreneurship so it's kind of one of those things that i see yeah you totally could but how about i just make it where you don't want to <laughs>
0: Well, or and and even if they do, like imagine the benefit that. So let's say you have that attorney you hire. They're with you for two years. They generate a ton of money. They great book of business, great lawyer, and then they go open their own firm. Imagine what impact they had on you and your firm and everybody else there for those two years. Imagine how much stronger your systems are. Imagine how much better your relationships are. Imagine how much you know uh, more well trained or better understanding your staff feels having been through seeing this rock star who now, you know, opens up a firm that dominates yours at some point down the road. But the alternative would be you never had them there because you were afraid of them because you and your firm never got better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Inevitably, being a little fearful or hesitant of finding people that know more than you do, it comes from a place of fear. And the net ROI on that is that it's going to hold you back.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I I can't. I can't agree with you more. And I can't agree. And I also can't agree more that like, I hear so many people either outright saying or rationalizing other decisions. Like, okay, I want to, I'm going to pay less because I don't want to train my competition later or something like, I I don't know. I just, it's, it's a limiting belief and you are intentionally limiting yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I hear it. I hear it all the time, but I mean, it's true. It's what we said. If you want to You want to gain in the short run or suffer in the long run?
0: And I mean, and let's be honest. Like, so, okay, from the standpoint of finding people better than you, like, I got to be honest, I run a PI firm with my wife. I don't think I could by myself handle a PI case from soup to nuts. I know that our firm damn well can, but that's because, like, I've got, you know, somebody who's the best as can be on requesting medical records and someone who's the best as can be at, you know, uh, coordinating the doctor's appointments and someone who's the best that can be at, you know, talking with the clients about discovery, like everybody is the best in their role or their roles. It would be really difficult for one of them to jump and totally do it because they're the expert in one part of it. Um, but together we can, I, knock on wood, you know, do wonders for clients and keep them happy.
1: Yeah, and that's really empowering for for a team member too, right? Empowering for them to own their work, right? And have the confidence to advise like how 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 does it feel as a as an employee advising the owner of the business on something like that makes you in and of itself feel valued feel heard feel like you're making a difference you really have an impact on the business
0: anything else before we go to number four because i love like these three build on each other so much like if you know what you don't know and you train people to take off your plate and you hire people better than you you are exponentially growing your firm over and over again because you're growing the size, you're growing the skills, you're growing the talents of the people, et cetera.
1: Yeah, and those, are, those can definitely all be scary, right? It's, it's almost, it's like taking that leap again. Like entrepreneurship is, it's deceiving when they say the leap. It's not the leap. It is strategically mastering the art of the leap. These are all leaps, but it is at the foundation of entrepreneurship. It's a risk, but that's why we're here. They're calculated risks, which is well, a, a great
0: I mean, I like the leap from the standpoint of like, you're, you, you're throwing yourself into this, but with the entrepreneur level, hopefully you're throwing yourself into this to get like higher and higher. You know, like it's a weird, it's like reverse base jumping or whatever you want to call it.
1: Yeah. Well, and I say calculated leaps, like strategic leaps, because there is a way to evaluate your opportunities and leap for the ones that are really going to pay off and get you where you're trying to go, which is a good, segue into number four, which is face the numbers. So you can't measure what you can't see. And if you don't have your books up and running, getting monthly financials, have your marketing metrics being collected, reported, and analyzed, it's really hard to evaluate your next step to make those strategic leaps. And again, this comes from a place of fear. School did not teach us. um, You know, taxes are pretty inevitable, like almost there with death. (laughs) You have to.
0: I think that's an expression.
1: (laughs) I think it is. Two things guaranteed in life, taxes and death. Um, But actually facing the numbers. And I word it that way very intentionally because I talk to so many people. They're like, I just don't want to face the numbers. Even even clients that we do work for that aren't looking at their financials because they just can't bring themselves to look at the numbers. And again, that comes from a place of fear, a place from, I don't understand them. I feel maybe not, not very good about myself as a person because I'm out here practicing law and I can't read my financial statement. Right. But that plays into like reaching out to people who know more than you do. I I have a mantra with clients and and my team ask questions shamelessly. You have to own your understanding. And the worst thing that can happen when you face the numbers is you can go, well, I am not in a good place. I am not in a good place. But the freeing thing about that is that now that you know better, you can choose to do different and put those numbers to use.
0: I mean, look, Chelsea and I talk a ton. So yay for me, boo for her. That's just talk to me so much. But- um, no, I, I say that as a joke. There are so many things that are in immensely common between marketing and financial stuff from the way that we both look at these things. I always talk like everybody has a brand. If you don't do anything about it, you still have a brand. And so what you're talking about here with the numbers, like if you never look at the numbers and they're bad, you're still in a bad place. You just you know aren't even on the first step of the 12 step process because you can't admit you have a problem. So when you see the numbers and you see that they're bad, it's not the fact that you looked that was the issue. It's the fact that they've always been that way. And you are first, you know, you're taking that first glance to hopefully change them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you really have to ask yourself, but like, if you are scared to face the numbers, if we're speaking to you right now and you feel called out, ask yourself, what are you actually losing? Because you won't come to the table and have a conversation with your numbers. If you have to ask yourself, well, I don't, you know, I'm, I want to delegate, I want to hire, but I don't know if I can afford to. And you've been in business for six months or a year, and you can't answer that question. What are you losing out on? What is the opportunity cost of you not spending time with your numbers?
0: Yes. I, look, if you've been in business for six months or 12 months, um, it, either you're doing something terribly wrong or you're doing something slightly wrong because either you haven't made the right investments to have enough bandwidth to be able to afford to hire somebody, or you've waited too long to hire somebody when you do have the money to, because you're not aware of, you know, your numbers or you're not comfortable with your future or, you know, whatever it is. And I trust me, I get it. Um, I hired pretty quickly because I'm, I don't want to say lazy, but like, I don't want to do the things that I don't want to do, or I don't want to do the things that I know I'm bad at. I want to put more time and effort in the things that I enjoy that provide value that um, I'm the best at. And so it was really easy for me to be like, look, I never want to e-file. I didn't realize as a state attorney, I thought it was an automated system. Turns out I hit some check boxes, and then somebody manually did it. So when I jumped over to open my firm, I was like, oh my God, there's this whole e-filing portal. And so I hired somebody to, to fill out my e-filing and I went to lunch with referral sources and I generated business. And then I hired somebody to, you know, go through my mail and make sure that we sent notices to clients. And then I went to a second lunch. And then I hired, you know, like it was just crazy to me. Um, uh, or I guess crazy. I was, I was able to rationalize the opportunity cost over and over again. Um, and that's what got me in a position to blow so much money that I didn't have because I was able to generate enough money to blow more than that, as opposed to just, you know, skating by the whole time.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a a good point though so you're you're thinking right because it's not only your current numbers it's those opportunity costs so even when we talk about hiring and delegating okay well if it saves you 20 hours a month and it you know only costs you $2000 what can you do with those 20 hours to generate more than $2000 in new revenue and what can you discover you know through that process of reallocating your time And one of the things I appreciate about the numbers, and, you know, maybe it'll help those people who have that fear of facing the numbers, the numbers are not biased. They're not, I mean, garbage in, garbage out. So make sure you have accurate numbers that you're looking at. But the numbers don't have, they're not going to pass judgment to you. They have no feeling. They really don't care what your plans are. So when you look at them, you're at, you know, it's almost like you're able to advise your numbers in terms of, okay, what can I afford? What, what can I add on? And then how much more do I need to bring in? Like they're a very non-confrontational thing, really. It's black and, and white.
0: And you know what? Chelsea's team also not judgmental when they're, you know, they have the nicest way of saying, you spent how much on this stupid shit, Jordan? <laughs> uh, but in a very nice, caring, concerning way. So, you know, they're like the numbers.
1: Yeah, I have a lot of grace for this subject because I know that people carry so much shame around them, but it boils back, it goes back to the fact that like nobody taught us like while we were getting credit cards in the mail at age 18, somebody should have been showing us how to budget and what it means when you don't pay your credit card off every month or that you can make money by paying your credit card off every month. Like These are fundamental pieces of information that are required to adult let alone run a business. So I have so much grace when it comes to talking about money.
0: I love it. <clears throat> All right. I want to, uh, anything else before we dive into the next one? Cause the next one is my spirit animal. You've got yeah. number five, let go of how it's always been done. And like, I want to do the uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Like that should be our like word set, sentence <laughs> of the day. You know, Please every time we say her. that, how it's always been done, we like drop everything from the ceiling and scream. Um, I That's my least favorite line ever.
1: It should be a flag. Like if you find your mind telling yourself up in here, if you ever like have the thought run past your head of, nope, not doing this because this is how it's always been done. This is just how we do it you are probably in a position where you're hurting yourself more than helping yourself. And instead of just saying, no, you should be asking questions to understand better.
0: Yeah. And I, and <clears throat> it's funny, I will give you, I will give you a great example. Cause this example has a happy ending. We were discussing why we made a recommendation on like the number of emails, and the number of text follow-ups from one of our clients and flat out somebody, somebody hit the button and was like, well, that's, you know, usually what we recommend or in this situation is what we always recommend. And I was like, no. Ah! And so, I mean, look, we went into, we had looked into the studies for the number of follow-ups to statistically book 90% or more of what's going on. And then we ran their numbers through their system. And then we tweaked it slightly and found that it was actually the right number. But like, oh my God, in that moment, I was like, no, you can't, it can't, like, it needs to be scientifically backed, expertise backed. Like it needs to still be the right way to do it. Not just the way we've always done it, even in a situation where it did turn out that we recommended the exact right thing after trying a couple of different ones out, which is the part that cracks me up the most because it's never that way. It never works out in your favor the way you did it. it turns out to be right in the modern age or the current version or whatever.
1: You were right. Like We should always be questioning that thought. I mean, let's talk about the legal industry specifically and in a recent event that proved all of the this is how we've always done it things wrong right? COVID. So pre-COVID, running a remote law firm or having remote employees was like, we don't do that. That's not possible. You know, this is not a business model that is sustainable or respectable. And then COVID hit and all of that, this is how we've always done it was like, oh, Time to pivot. This is totally possible. In fact, we're saving money. Our employees are more productive in some cases, and we should totally do this. Matter of fact, we can't operate any other way right now while we're on lockdown. Like, talk about a mental ceiling being completely shattered in that moment.
0: Oh, totally. And it was funny. Um, so we've been back in Orlando for like a month now. So I went to the uh, Hispanic bar, puts on a Domino's tournament. and It's like always the most fun event. I still don't know the rules to dominoes. I have a blast every time. But I was talking to one of the judges who had been sort of following our trip, and was like, "But how do you like? But how did you do this? Like, how did you actually still keep a firm going?" And I was like, "What do you mean? Like Zoom, Google Meet? You know, we called in for people. We flew back a couple times. Like, yeah, but like, you know, you're not here on the day to day." And I was like, "Look, like, what's the? Eventually, we got to like their biggest thing was like, how do you get referrals?" And I was like, "Look, we came back four or five times in that you know twelve months." how many people do you actually see and spend like a viable amount of time with four or five times over the course of a year? And like, that was a light bulb for them. You know, I guess they could put aside the technology of Zoom, WebEx, Teams, whatever it was, but like the relationship building. And I was like, and then a phone and a cell phone and talking to people through Zoom. Like Chelsea and I have met in person twice, three times, three times in three different, well, I guess three different cities. Um, But we've talked like, Dozens, hundreds of times, I don't know, across the across the internet, across all this stuff. It's just amazing to me how much more possible these things are.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think in Cleo's last annual report or the year before that, they were even reporting that clients of law firms prefer to have the flexibility of, you know, a remote environment. I mean, there are examples everywhere that will shatter what you think you know. There's, I'm a track and field person. I did it in high school, and my daughter was state champ in hurdles last year. Um, And so I love track and field, but prior to like the 1960s, and I'm, I don't have the date at the top of my head, experts in the track industry all around hundred percent said it is humanly impossible to run a four minute mile or less. They said uh, it would never be done.
0: I want to say it was the twenties.
1: Twenties. Okay.
0: Uh, But anyway, yeah, yeah. Regardless, I know what you're talking about,
1: but the remarkable thing is it happened, obviously. And when it happened, tons of people started breaking four minute miles. Once that theory oh. was proven wrong, once it opened up people's minds to the fact that, oh, this is completely possible. And people started doing it.
0: You, Did you, you were way closer. Yeah. 1954.
1: 1954.
0: Rog- Roger Bannister at 25 ran a yes. 359.4 mile. And then you're right. And then like it just That was it. It Tons of people, right?
1: They're doing that in like high school now.
0: (laughs) uh, I think for the last Olympics, a guy ran a sub four minute marathon.
1: Jeez. So, you know, point being, how you, if you think that things only work one way and we're just going to continue to do it this way because this is how we've always done it. There are examples out there that will challenge your belief around that statement to yourself everywhere.
0: And I'm wrong again. The record... Marathon was a 448 for 26.2 miles. Insane. But yeah, you're right. Like it's totally, and then sending people into space, you know, like the craziest part about the space race is how quickly the second person did whatever. You know, like the Soviets were ahead of us until we put a man on the moon and like nobody could figure that out. And then when we, you know, we would follow behind their coattails on getting into orbit and satellites and whatever. And then like the minute we got on the moon, they're like, okay, now we can do it. It's just, it's crazy how there's like this, Weird. I don't want to say group consensus, but like there's this weird societal wide block for certain things.
1: And so you have to ask yourself, where do you want to be in that group, in that flock of people, right? Because the ones that are embracing evolution, they're the ones breaking it first. They're the bannisters of the group, right? So do you, are you that person that's going to sit back and wait for enough people to break the four minute mile? Do you want to be at the front of the line, like at the at the front of the race? because oops, sorry no I mean the key is the key is evolution it's just like with marketing marketing is always changing can you imagine somebody saying well this is how we've always done it in marketing is there really an always has there ever been a consistent anything
0: there's here's what I will say there are certain things that haven't changed there are certain like it's now an AI can write this stuff now like you know whatever but ultimately like the Finding out your ideal client, thinking about what question they truly have in their mind, answering that question the right way. like those things remain the same. the The medium changes, the methodology changes. Um, but it's interesting it's just, it's interesting to me to see how much people want to fall back on um skipping out on a specific strategy because it's so new, as opposed to taking the tried and true methods and applying them to the new potential strategy.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's a it's a mix, it's a mashup and it's a balance, but but over time it's constantly changing, and I feel like that is the essence of entrepreneurship too. We have to constantly evolve. We have to constantly change. Otherwise, we're not going to be in business for very long. Less than one percent make it to to ten years. And this good to great, what what this book talks about about that flywheel. It doesn't say here's how to do it. It's here. It says here's how to always be doing it. <laughs>
0: Well, and, and for those of you that haven't read Good to Great, I um I could not get through Jim Collins' other book, but Good to Great I could not put down because he found it was all of these companies that like slightly overperformed the market, slightly underperformed the market for 15 years and then crushed the market for 15 years. So like this wasn't a, you know, flash in the pan, but it also wasn't the like golden child company that was always doing well. It was these companies that like truly made a pivot somewhere to change um their thing, which I think goes right into our next one are number six, accepting that you're no longer a lawyer.
1: Yeah, um, it it really does. And I say that, you know, because there is a mindset shift when it comes to opening up your law firm from practicing law and the two, how you operate within those two hats, the lawyer and the law firm owner are completely different. And so if if you're looking to grow and scale, you have to learn how to function underneath that entrepreneur hat, and not let that attorney part of your mind take over and influence, because one does not serve the other.
0: And let's be honest. I mean, let's let's go back to number three: finding people better than you. You hire other lawyers who are way better lawyers than you have ever been or will ever be, but you create the entrepreneurial, the business uh, framework for them to be able to kill it as lawyers.
1: Yeah, and that can be really difficult to do, like like we were talking about. But that really does play well into it because, again, not everybody has has the the desire or the want to do entrepreneurship. And so you know, thinking under that hat instead of thinking about oh crap, did I just hire my competition? Focus on creating the culture and the environment because that's where you can stand out. That's where you can be different, and that's what's going to keep people there. And for the ones that leave, I mean, I, I talk to a lot of the ones that leave law firms and start their own practice and it's, you know, it doesn't work out or it's really hard, but it's because that transition from doing the thing versus building and growing the thing is hard.
0: Um, do you have to go at the hour? Cause we've got four left and we've got 15 minutes. I don't have to go at the hour.
1: Okay. Let me see here. I know I sure. have I have another half an hour.
0: Okay, cool. So then, so we've got four more to cover in a half an hour. We'll go a little bit over an hour for this episode, but that's because Chelsea's dropping so much wisdom here that I don't want to, uh, I don't want to stop it. (laughs) So now we got another, another very uh, chief financial architect, money whisperer. Get a grip on your cash, number seven.
1: Yes. Um, man, this is about just as important as facing the numbers because there's there's kind of two things happening. And I'm talking about cash, like cash in bank. Your financials do not reflect cash. These are two different things understood independently and used in partnership with each other. Getting a grip on your cash for me means using something like the profit first bank account system, like physically separating your cash so that we're not doing math in our head and looking at the checking account once a week and saying, oh, well, I know I have these funds coming in from IOLTA and I know that payroll is next week. So I'm good there. Oh, rent. Yes. Rent is coming out as well. Like letting your cash become almost on autopilot is what I mean when I say get a grip on your cash.
0: Yeah. I always love the, um, your, so Chelsea team got locked out of my account for whatever it was, like one payroll cycle, and it was so funny because they're like, "Hey, we're gonna run blah 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 for X." Like we just want to make sure. Normally we confirm the money, and I was like, "Yeah, we're like it's that, and it'll be charged tomorrow, and this will be out in there." And they're like, "Okay, cool." Like just a, you know, that one extra check. Um, It's and it's so nice to have because like I remember those days where it was like, "Are we going to make payroll?" And thankfully those days are, knock on wood, way still behind me. Certainly many years ago, um, but it is a it, it helps you through that churn, that cycle, that uh, whatever you want to call it.
1: Yeah. You get out of, again, having to worry and stress about, is there enough money in the bank? Can I pay my team? Do I have enough set aside for taxes? How much can I take in owner drawer distribution? It really takes the guesswork out of it. It takes some effort to set up, but once it's set up, it is like, it really is like cash on autopilot. So yes, get a grip on your cash.
0: Well, and I I want to echo, I want to go deeper on like, look, if you are a family law attorney and you're billing by, or any attorney that bills by the hour, you should have the easiest time getting this set up. Like we have these people set up. They're supposed to bill X per week. We know that we recover it in net 15, net 30, net 45, whatever that's going to be. We can have the money going. If you're flat fee, then, you know, maybe you have some payment plans. So like we're contingency fee. And I was always so like, how the heck do we know? And look, there's always going to be that, you know, there's that one seven figure case that comes up here. There's that one month where, you know, the mediation doesn't resolve that you thought would, but by having these numbers over so much time, it's crazy to say like, all right, I signed up this case. So statistically speaking in eight months, you know, or whatever it is, seven point blah, blah, blah months, it's going to resolve for 25 something thousand dollars on average. And then as we get closer, like, okay, well then now I filed on this case. So now I know that by filing on it, in 22.46 months, it's going to resolve for blah, 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 $100,000 on average. It's crazy to see because over time, those numbers become like weirdly close overall or or in averages or whatever you want to call it.
1: Yeah. There's so much value in the historical data and contingency fee firms give me the most resistance on a profit first type of setup, but it's what they actually work best for sometimes because when those large settlements come in and payrolls automatically padded taxes automatically padded operating expenses they are sitting comfy for six to nine months or so and don't have to worry about it and there is so there is i think it's an out for some of them to be like oh well my cash is so volatile this won't work for me there's no you know i can't possibly even ballpark when things are gonna happen. I think it's easy to do that because we don't wanna face the numbers or put systems in place or think they won't work for us. But there is some historical data that we can definitely draw some good estimates from.
0: And honestly, like Chelsea identified one problem. I am the opposite problem. Like we would have that big case closed and I'd be like, hmm, I've got a lot of money burning a hole in my pocket. What can I blow this on? Hmm, let's see. And, uh, and I did. And I still sort of do, but at least now they're like, you have this amount of money to, uh, you know, not do what you want with, but like, we'll earmark this for it so that, you know, you still have all the other buckets covered. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's, uh, let's go to Vegas and put it all on black.
1: Oh my gosh. So that's actually a really good intro to number eight, I yeah. think, which is learn how to reflect right, learn how to, the the greats do this, right, and it sounds woo-woo, okay, but there's a reason why all of the greats have these consistent things that they do that everybody kind of brushes off as not important, especially now. It's, um, when you guys are hearing this the beginning of January, like, learn how to reflect. It's a great time to look back on 2022 and say, like, what did I do really good? What did I, screw up what could I have done different to get better results
0: totally I mean it's it like um what I don't know I'm reading some I don't remember which book it was in but they're talking about like every time there's an air traffic crash like if a plane goes down or even if there's an issue like if there's a whatever there's some level like of issue that gets brought up to the FAA and they will investigate And when they figure out the result, every plane that has this one, you know, faulty sensor has to get it replaced before they can open the air. Every plane has to get the software update before like all this stuff. It is crazy to think about how effective that would be if we could apply that to everything. You know, like if there was that one law firm owner, that one case that got JOA'd, we would have to like forcibly change our rules. It's not feasible, but by doing that self-reflection internally, you can at least control the problems within your firm to make them not be repetitive.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Some of the, some of your greatest come to Jesus moments are going to come when you take the time to sit back and reflect. And, and even cause you know, I, I really believe just like I say, it's always and never about the money. All of your personal habits are your business habits and they show up in your culture from how you communicate to people, how you connect with people. If you find that it's hard to keep a team for very long, like you may want to ask yourself, what is my role in all of this? You know, down to, to communication, to relationships, to decision-making.
0: I love how you frame that because like, it, I always talk about it from the opposite view. I'm always like, look, the best business advice isn't business advice. It's life advice. Like the best rules about running your business apply to your friends, apply to your wife, apply to your spouse, because that's what makes them the best. For you, though, it's funny because now you're talking about it from like the same thing that bugs you about your, you know, that bugs you in your relationship with friends is the same thing that bugs you in your, you know, as a boss or as a firm owner or whatever you want to call it, um, which means every, every ounce of progress you make towards fixing that problem will affect positively so many different aspects of your life.
1: Yeah, it's looking in the mirror. Um what is it? John C. Maxwell. I think he's the one that says leadership arises and falls. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And in your business, you are the leader. If you're not willing to face those demons in the mirror or those faults or those flaws or those things that you probably suck at, then you have to be willing for those things to affect your business and your culture. And it ripples all the way through. Clients can sense a lot of that stuff even.
0: Totally. So do you have a, do you have guidance on how somebody does this self-reflection or how often they do it or what it looks like?
1: I do. Um, I'm actually getting ready to drop a course next month. And in that course, I have monthly, quarterly, and annual CFO checklists. And those checklists not only address money but they address things. And the book traction, the book traction is another good place to get that. Like set, A lot of people skip over the part of like, what's your company mission? What's your core values? What's your vision? Because they don't think it's that important, but in truth, it is probably the most important. Um, I'm doing an event in January for vision board planning. Um, Marissa Peer is one of the people that I love listening to. She's a world-renowned psychologist, and she has she taught me about the three rules of the mind. And one of those rules of the mind is that your mind thinks in pictures. Even if you're telling yourself right now, oh, I don't think in pictures, your brain digests visual images differently than it does audible or you know touch other senses. And so creating a vision board and having the quadrants of relationships, money, wealth, health, communication, whatever those are, and putting a picture to what it is that you're aiming at um and like I have a journal and every month it goes through and you reflect on the month and there's one exercise that I really love and it's called a t-chart and if you're an accounting nerd you know what that is but you're probably not so it's funny that my one of my favorite personal journaling activities is a t-chart but Draw a line down the middle of the page. When you're, whenever you're having a problem or something that you're just battling with or you're confused about and you have a lot of feelings and emotions about, draw a T-chart. And on the left side, just write the facts. Write what you know about the situation. And then on the left side, write your feelings around that. And just how eye-opening it is to be able to see, okay, here's the real deal. And here are just all of these things and feelings that I'm feeling about this thing. Is, is so eye-opening. Like one of my mantras is in times of struggle, be still. So if you find yourself in that place, especially in the moment, in the moment and shortly after, once you get out of your field is a really good time to reflect and, and kind of master the art of reflection because it is like motivation and taking a bath. It's something that you have to do at least monthly, I think.
0: Chelsea Williams, and I quote, you have to take a bath at least monthly.
1: Please.
0: <laughs> no, but particularly. It, um, it's so interesting. you know, it, there's a all of the studies that talk about people that are successful. There's like that weird balance between imposter syndrome but also believing you could be better than everybody else. And I think that's where self-reflection comes in, because it's like, I didn't do it as well as I think I can, could imposter syndrome. Here's how I want to do it better. I can do it better than anybody else. And like by constantly by constantly feeling that way in a way where it doesn't grind you down into dust, like in a way where you understand you are making progress by doing this reflection over and over again, you are constantly getting better as a person, as a business owner, as a company, as a team, as you know whatever it's gonna be when you actually apply that reflection. And I love that you highlighted some things being monthly things, some being quarterly, some being annual. Obviously that's... I, I guess, going to depend on the firm's, um, you know, abilities and, and priorities in terms of what goes where. But I love that concept.
1: Yeah, it's like a, it's like the habits book, Atomic Habits. Check your, like, keep track of your votes. Like, keep a jar of every time you win it, you kill it. And that's, that's your proof. That's what battles the, the imposter syndrome and keeps you going.
0: I love it. All right, we got two more
1: All right. So number nine is what I refer to as going three layers deep. And what I mean by that is when something goes, this actually plays into reflection really well. So let's say every month you're sitting down and you're looking at your financial statements, right? And you keep a budget and the budget says that you didn't do as well as you thought you were going to do this month. And instead of just being like, Oh, well that sucks. Okay. What do expenses look like? (laughs) Right? Like pausing and forcing yourself to answer the question. Why at least three times there's something really eye-opening that happens that third time that you ask yourself that question. So for example, I was meeting with one of my clients and she had like a killer month and I'm like, well, why did you have a killer month? And she's like, cause I did really good. I signed up this many clients. And I'm like, well, why did they come to you? Why did you sign up those many clients? Oh, I met this guy and he's a really good referral source for me. And they all came from him and um, it just worked out really well. And I was like, well, why did he refer you? And by answering that third why, which was she gave him value that his clients could benefit from, she came up with a whole different marketing strategy of you know, networking with these types of professionals that would make for great referral sources and coming up with freebies for them to give their clients as a value add. So going three layers deep and the same works with when something doesn't work very well. Right. Like say you fire an employee and and you're like, well, I fired them because they kept messing stuff up. Well, why did they keep messing stuff up? What were they going off of? Well, we have instructions on how things are supposed to be done. Well, what do those instructions say? Oh, crap, I'm missing a step. I didn't properly train them. Like, you know, so practicing the art of asking yourself and forcing yourself to answer why did that happen or not happen at least three times.
0: And the more that you are the cause of all of your problems, the easier it is for you to find the solution because you can change yourself a lot easier than you can change anybody else or you can delegate things off of your plate a lot easier than you can get them off of or onto anybody else's plate. So there's a, uh, there's a weird dichotomy of freedom when you realize you're the one causing the problems.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the thing is most people don't get past the first thought. It's kind of like out in the world and you see somebody dressed and you're like, the first thought is to judge them and be like, oh my God, what were you thinking today? But if we can just get past that second thought, right? And, and, and at least explore alternative possibilities. And in business, that's really easy though, because we have data, right? We have facts that we can lean on. Um, it's going against kind of human nature, but if you can learn how to do it, it is very powerful. Well,
0: and the interesting thing from a, like I I was a history major and for the longest time I was like, well, that's cool. I learned a bunch of history, but I'll never use it again until I started running a business when I realized that like so much of what we do as a business, we find out about afterwards. So by learning what other companies did, we try to figure out what we should do at the beginning to get similar results at the end. And so there's this weird, like, you know, history repeats itself. Uh, standpoint from marketing strategy, from business strategy, from leadership strategy, all of it backed by, you know, the amount of raw data I can collect from my own firm, cross-referenced by the amount of of data that's available from the really publicly traded company. There's like a bunch of different ways to go about and finding this stuff. It's super cool.
1: Yeah, it's almost like digging up the own history of your business or yourself, like in real time, writing that book.
0: Anything else before we get to the last one? Because last, but definitely not least, number 10.
1: Yeah, I saved this one last on purpose. Um, Number 10 is actually take action um, and and implement things. Like ideas are great. Ideas are awesome. I could talk to a hundred people and they could be like, God, yes, Chelsea, this is what we need. We need to see this stuff and I'm going to do this. But statistically speaking, less than 10% are, of people are actually going to take action. And so I wanted to put emphasis on, and there's a, there's a rule out there too, isn't it? Like you're more, um, you're more likely to do something if you take action within like 24 hours or 48 hours.
0: Oh, listen, or- I'm sure like there are, there are three times that I will do things immediately. Like I have the idea, let's execute it right now if I can calendar it to be done somewhere else or never, like that's the third option. So um, I'm right there with you.
1: Yeah. Like it's so important. So just the, just taking action immediately or within 24 hours or taking action period puts you in this rare air already. And you know, when you don't take action, I think that some people tend to be like, well, you you know, just staying stuck and being like, why am I stuck? Why am I stuck? And it's like, well, you didn't actually do the things that you know you need to do. Taking action is what makes everything happen. And you have to be willing to do it. One of my other principles that I have in my journal that I visit is that action is greater than intention. You can have the best of intentions, really great intentions, but if you don't take action, it can kind of make it look worse. Especially if you voice your intention
0: yeah it's like a uh it's like a roller coaster you know i feel like so many more people freak out in the waiting line but then like the minute you get on the coaster you're like oh this is awesome this is a lot of fun you know it's the anticipation that kills you which is um what i think so many people get stuck up here with not acting on the ideas
1: yeah yeah and i think it's worthwhile to talk about action doesn't have to be this big grand huge thing Action is in the things that you do every single day. You know, if if it's creating a task, if it's scheduling a meeting with your team member to go over an SOP that's not working very well, if it's sending out, you know, emails to your clients asking for feedback, it could be the smallest things, but those things build and, you know, every 1% matters. We have a, a saying in our team, we're so focused on efficiency while maintaining quality and accuracy that even if it's 1%, we want to know about it in our business, in our team, because those small things are what's going to build up and create a foundation that can help you grow exponentially.
0: I love it. All right. So to everybody watching, listening to this one, thank you so much for your time. Um, I know Chelsea's always a wealth of knowledge. And as part of that, we're going to go two different ways here. One, Come back next week for our next week's Exhibit A, which will air on January 12th at 6 p.m. We've got Joe Muso on. Joe's going to talk about tips for communication that builds connection. So how you communicate in a way where it is not just heard, not just followed, but understood in a way that builds connection. And if that's not enough, over the next 10 weeks, Chelsea's going to go deeper on all 10 of these topics in our Solutions for Lawyers By Lawyers Group, culminating in a live session, Chelsea, myself, and all of you, at the uh, second half of March, once we're done through the 10, answering your questions, going deeper with things on you, answering what you want to know about, sharing extra wisdom uh, for free because she's awesome like that. That being said, those of you that listening to this episode and are smart enough to know that you... uh, have some opportunities for growth when it comes to facing the numbers, understanding your cash, and otherwise making sure that your financials are uh, in the place they should be. What's the best way for me to get in touch with you, Chelsea?
1: Yep. Our website is got all, it's got all our other social pages on it, like Instagram and all that jazz, but it is yourcoresolution.com.
0: Yourcoresolution.com. All normal spelling, no spaces, no hyphens, no nothing. Super easy, very informative. Chelsea, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Absolutely, thanks for having me, Jordan.
0: Thank you to everybody who took some time to listen to this episode. I think this is the longest episode that we've had, but it's. Can I have that a...
1: badge, please? Can I have a badge for that, like there longest we episode?
0: Well, and then what? Like, if it's if if somebody else breaks the thing, do we have to like? You have to send the I'll badge. Pass on? it
1: on, yes.
0: All right, there we go. We'll make we'll make a whole chain. Um, yeah, that being said, everybody, join us in our Solutions for Lawyers Facebook group, and then we'll see you next week for Joe Muso's episode. With that, have a wonderful week and a excellent 2023. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Turnings. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of a successful attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com. E-A-S-E.